and welcome to the Studio Wesley Annex, our weekly discussion of the lectionary text. I'm your host, Derek Scott III, and we've got a great group for discussion today. Really, really excited. So let me first say hello to my good friend and colleague, co-worker, the greatest person probably on the planet, Allison. Allison, how are you doing today? Hello. I'm, you know what? I'm real tired, but I'm I'm here, so we're, we're, we're doing good. Well, Grateful that you're here. Uh, you're you're pulling the Studio Wesley uh, sort of support today because uh, you're the only Studio Wesley person. Usually, I have a couple other Studio Wesley folks, but we have the really great opportunity today to have not one but two Florida campus ministers hanging out with us. And so, first, I want to introduce Erwin Lopez from Wesley at UCF. Erwin, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing really well. A little tired too, like Allison, but excited to be here and reflecting the scriptures. Awesome. And I should have said the Reverend Erwin Lopez. He is the right Reverend. Um, really excited that you're here. And the Reverend Joel Pancoast from Gator Wesley. Uh, Joel, how you doing today, man? Still strange to hear that Reverend in front, but doing good. Thanks, uh, just, Derek. I just want to make sure we give respect where respect is yes. due. Y'all yes, are clergy. We don't know why people take that road down, you know, clergy orders, local pastor, and they don't know why, but they do it. And so we champion them because they're taking one for the team. Beautiful. Well, we got a great show uh, ahead. We're going to be looking at First uh, Corinthians 2, Isaiah 58. Psalm 112 and Matthew chapter 5, a little bit more of that. We're in the third, no, the fifth week of Epiphany. My bad. We are in the fifth week of Epiphany. Some people are just like, it's an ordinary time, Derek. It's like, no, we are still in Epiphany. We are still in the season of light. Come fight me about it. This is the fifth week of Epiphany. And I'm going to pray us in, and then we're going to get started with our discussion. So friends, would you pray with me? Jesus, I give you praise for all that you are doing. I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for the chance we get to discuss the scriptures. So come, Holy Spirit, enlighten us. Use these thoughts and interpretations, these perspectives, so that we would see Jesus and, and be enlightened for this journey that we're on. We give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to get started. And uh, Joel, you're going to get us started with our New Testament text, 1 Corinthians 2. You ready, sir? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. Derek gave me the uh, 1 Corinthians 2 text, which is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through just about 12. And as I was looking at this text, one of the things that I always ask when I'm reading some of these is, is who is at this point, who is Paul talking to? Um, in this church, and why is he saying what he's saying, and who's he saying it to, and all of that stuff. And, and so it made me flip back to um, the, the first chapter. Um, and the other part is, why is he saying this stuff? And there's a, there's a neat part in the first chapter where Paul talks about why he is talking to this church at all. And there's some rivals that are happening, people that are believing different things or following different people. Um, it's this idea that we follow Christ, but we also follow Christ through different people's perspectives and lenses. And he said this, which was struck me. And again, I'm in chapter one. He said, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And that was the first time that I had, I had heard someone say that, hey, my job as a preacher or a teacher, my job as an apostle isn't to baptize you, but to preach the good news, which I thought was very interesting. He says, Christ, he went, went on to say, Christ didn't send me to preach the good news with clever words so that Christ's cross won't be emptied of its meaning, um, which for me is, it, it, proposes that maybe we can empty Christ's meaning by what we say, which was a question that I wasn't quite sure about. And so that flips us into today's text. 
um, First Corinthians two, and in the first chapter, it, it hits off on this same topic of of who's talking, what type of talking is the person doing. But it struck me the very first line says, "When I came to you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church of Corinth. I didn't come preaching God's secret to you, like I was an expert in speech or wisdom." Um, I have been trained at any time that you start off a talk that you don't tell people that you don't know what you're talking about. And I, I feel like Paul's starting off by saying, I'm not an expert um, in speech or wisdom, which means, well, well, if you're not an expert, why am I reading the letter? Um, then he, but then he goes on to say, I had made up my mind not to think about anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and to preach him as crucified. Again, it feels like a little bit of hyperbole hyperbole or this idea that I'm speaking above the people's head. But if I enter into a group and I talk to that group and say, I'm not thinking about you right now. And then I go on to talk for a long time from everything that I have um, known or learned about preaching or teaching or writing letters. I, usually I want to connect with the people. And I would think that Jesus would want to connect with the people by getting to know them and so those were some troubling spots where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to go on it. But then it keeps getting more fun where it says, my message and my preaching weren't presented with convincing wise words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, which told me, I read into that. And maybe this is because of my mood today as I was reading this text and, and flipping through it. Is that the, the, the assumption I made is that did Paul not prepare Say he didn't prepare, so he wants to use God's power and his ability to bullshit, or God's power in tongues or the Spirit. In other words, am I am I am I just pulling this stuff out of nowhere, or and talking about Jesus? So it's all about Jesus and the Spirit. And then it brings back to me is when we have these people that preach and teach, how do we know the difference between the Spirit working through someone or the or this person just pulling stuff out of their own perspective and their own opinions, which lends back to that first Corinthians, the, the first chapter, which was talking about, Hey, we have all of these separate people, these rival groups in Corinth that he's talking to. And so I guess my real struggle with this whole passage or the thing it brings to light with me is this, this filter and this need for community to be in discussion with you, with each other about our understanding of Christ. And and I think what, what would counter what Paul said was actually at the same time, I think we need to think about other things except Jesus Christ, because that's what Christ would do. I think Christ would want to know the people that he's talking to in a deeper and, and real way. What problems were they having? What were the real problems, not just what were the theological problems? And so if I'm ripping this apart and talking about today's text, those were the parts that really struck with me, um, especially as we're listening to a lot of people talk about um or a lot of people give messages or I read a lot of books. I, I kind of want to know what their perspective is behind that. And are they, are they bullshitting us or, or are they just telling us their opinions or is it the spirit working through them? I think there's a, a good filter we put on our, our theology. Um, those are the things I had. I can keep going, but I think that's about my, a little bit of my time. Bro, Joel, that was, you had me laughing out loud. That was great. I really appreciate your thoughts on that. And I, I, as I was reading along with you, I just, I, I've been pondering lately sort of what is the posture of Paul when he's giving these messages? Um, we're, there's another podcast that we, that Campus the City is doing on Romans this semester. And uh, we started out, uh, I was in there, Romans 1 uh, episode, and we were just talking about like, 
is Paul like actually talking from like this like super legit like similar to like a, a pastor in a pulpit kind of like giving this message or is there like a different kind of posture and what we know about Roman culture is that often when someone's standing in the Colosseum for instance or in the middle of a town square they are embellishing these statements that they're making they're, they're, there's they're moving their language and the volume up and down it's not just like this sort of like one monotone, every single word is meant to be taken with this like same degree of seriousness. And that's just what we know about first century AD Roman culture. And so I'm just reading this and I'm like, I wonder if Paul's like, I didn't come to y'all with all kinds of wisdom. And like, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And like, I mean, and, and actually Paul, that's a bit bullshit. We know you're the smartest guy in the room. So what do you, what are you actually trying to get at, bro? Like, what are you trying? Mm -hmm. So I just really appreciate, and and I think maybe the the part that's helpful for us is this is an invitation, I think, to lean into the text a little bit more and to ask some questions, not just about First Corinthians two, but the first letter to the Corinthians. What is this thing that Paul is trying to say? And he's starting his letter off. So what is he trying to get to? Instead of us just sort of reading every line with the same degree of seriousness. I don't know if that's a helpful reading of the text. So I appreciate you lifting some of that stuff up. Allison, Irwin, y'all got any thoughts on what Joel brought to us? Yeah, I um, I just appreciated the, you kind of, in the beginning, you were talking about, um, you said something about like, when I walk into that room and I'm gonna give this message, you know, um, not saying like that I'm not thinking about you right now thing. Um, and then you kind of followed it up later with that, like, aren't we supposed to be thinking about these people though? Like when we walk in the room and do this thing. And I just very like, it, I don't know why that hit so hard. And it's kind of like, I had to write that one down just to kind of sit on it for a little while longer. Think about what our students would say if we came up and started a, a talking to a group of college students and say, I don't really care about who you guys are. I want to tell you about this Jesus. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I don't think that's what draws people in. I don't know. That's Sorry, you're on. No, you're good. You're good. You know, I connected with a couple of things that you said. One of the first things when you talked about like emptying the meaning and are we emptying the meaning of, of, of Jesus, of Christ, of the Christianity? And it actually goes along a little bit with the text that I'm reading for today, which is talks about hiding, how we shouldn't hide our light. And then I, I thought about how there's a lot of people who go to church and especially young people. I was thinking about them and. I wonder if they're proud of the churches they go to, if they're proud of the communities that they, they represent. And I hope they are. And I think when I see people sharing things on Instagram, they share things that they're proud of. They share things that, that are relevant, that, that make an impact. And I'm, I'm, I hope that our churches and our messages and our communities and our values are inspiring people to share the message. And so whether or not you, you know what you're leading is empty, a good sign is, are people willing to share? And it, it, it's because it's inspiring. So that was one thought that I had in, in my mind. And the second thought I had in my mind was this filter. You asked, how do we know if this is from the spirit? And how do we know if this is from just somebody's opinion? And I go back to Paul. Paul talks about how the goal of the faith, the telos, he uses this word telos, which is the end, right? The, at the end, it all leads to this place. And guess what it is? Love. Love. And so for me, the filter that I use is 
Does this message bring us closer to love God, love neighbor, or love self? If this message is making me angry, if this message is separating from me from my neighbor, if this message is making me racist or whatever it is, whatever it is, then I don't think that's of God. That's not the telos. So that's kind of one of the filters that I, I teach our students and one of the filters that I, I think is important not only for the Christian faith, but for any philosophy, whether you're a Muslim person, whether you're a philo philosopher, faith, non-faith, my hope is that the telos, the end, is the same thing. And X has started. This is good. <laughs> this is so good. Thank you, Joel, for bringing us that reflection. And we're going to uh, send it now, pass the mic to Allison, who's going to talk to us about Isaiah 58. So take it away, my friend. Yeah. So um, this was like, I tend to like to be able to isolate things in this verse. And I had a really hard time. Well, just the verses in general. And I had a really hard time doing that in this verse. Because I feel like it's also important. And it all kind of like flows together in the way and the, the things that it's saying. Um, so I tried my best to isolate. But there's there's not really a lot of isolation in there. Um, but I do think it's interesting because I had to read it a few times to kind of understand what was going on. And to me, what I'm reading is kind of like this, you know, in the very beginning of Isaiah 58, they're like, well, God, God's not noticing us. Like, why aren't you noticing us? we're doing this thing, we're fasting, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Why are you not, you know, noticing all the things we're doing? But later on, it starts to talk about this, like, um, yeah, they're fasting, but but they're also like, it mentions things like, you know, oppression and fighting and violence and pretty much just like doing whatever they want. And so God's like, but that's not, that's not, that doesn't like make it okay. You know, like you can't be fasting, but then also like do all these things. Um, and so I don't know. I just, there was, it was hard for me to isolate one thing, but there is verse six, which I did like a lot. And so I'm going to read it. Um, and it says, no, what I want in the fast is this to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice to lighten the load of those heavily burdened to free the oppression and shatter every type of oppression. And so I think that was like the first verse where I was like, oh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about like in order to fast for God is like also to help those around you, you know, to liberate, to lighten the load, to free the, the oppressed, just to like use the words in that um, text. Um, it goes on, it mentions, you know, sharing your food, sharing space in your house to those who don't have one, you know, giving clothes, not neglecting your family or those around you. Um, and then like all of those things go into like, yeah, you won't, you know, you won't be alone if you do those things because God is going to be present and he is going to be there and he's going to notice all of those things. Um, and I just thought it was interesting, like how it starts off with, I don't know, just like start to finish how it's like the difference in the description of fasting, what it is, what it looks like, and then kind of like what it means for a relationship with God, I guess. Derek, you're muted. I am still muted. That's great. That's great. I'm new to StreamYard. That's awesome. Okay, Allison, that's a part of it is like you had me like looking back at my text and like, um, and I love I love Isaiah 58. And I really appreciate sort of the way that you were looking. You started looking at it. It reminds me, I believe last week Micah 6 8 was our Old Testament text, which is. Um, you know, what is God required of you, oh man, but, uh, you know, love justice, walk humbly with your God, seek mercy. And so this, this Old Testament text from Isaiah is just right in lockstep with that. Um, and it, I think it, it, it is in the context of epiphany, one of the things I talked about last week, we talked about last week, was the ways that light shines, you know, epiphany is the season of light. 
light shines and it often shines on things that were like, actually I'd rather light not shine on that part. Um, and I, it, I hear the prophet asking questions that bring things to light that we may not want to, you know, this is where the prophet on behalf of God asks, isn't this the fast that I want to release the wick, release the restraints, the untie the rope to the yoke, like all of that. Like, and so I just, I appreciate you sort of bringing that back to us and, and highlighting that part of the text. So um, Erwin, Joel, y'all got any thoughts? Sure. Yeah. One of the things that I connected with Allison, as you were sharing that also has to do with the scripture that I was reading for today is this idea that it seems like the Pharisees or the religious leaders, they were really focused on works of piety. And so they were really focused on like fasting and praying. And what I love about the United Methodist Church is that it gives us this holistic picture of what it means to be a Christian. So we have works of piety and works of mercy. And so works of piety tend to be this personal holiness, this kind of self-focused work that we do to be holy before God. And fasting is one of those things, right? That it's it's kind of an individual act, right? Um, but we're reminded here in the scripture that fasting should also have a social holiness perspective. And if if I had time to, to spend time writing a sermon, I would kind of break down the analogies or the similarities between fasting which is an act of removing yourself from something or practicing self-control in such a way and how those characteristics are similar to justice. I, I don't know, but just off the top of my head, you know, I think of the idea of practicing justice. I think about like a white person means being humble and recognizing white privilege. And that's an act of self-control, right? And so I, I appreciate this holistic perspective to not only focus on works of piety, but remember that our Christianity is incomplete if we don't also have works of mercy, you know, so. You know, and, and I, I appreciated this passage and what you brought about and even the journey that you took with it. One of the things that um, I, I printed out the CEB version and I love how these different interpretations dance with different words and allow us to then um, talk through those words and how they change us. Even that verse six passage that you brought up, Allison, in the CEB, it says, isn't this the fast I choose? And someone said, isn't this the fast I want? And even the, the nuance between how those words hit on whether or not this is something that I want for myself or it's being called for myself or something I get to choose. And I like the idea that those things cause us to dance with the text a little differently. Um, the the other part, my my, my section in, in uh, Isaiah fifty eight starts out with shout loudly, don't hold back, and so this idea that that we can work this stuff out verbally and with each other to shout means there's probably someone hearing because if you're yelling and talking about it out loud, you're hearing it. Um, there's some beauty there. Um, another one that one that struck me, and I know you're talking about this with the, with with um, releasing wicked constraints is what the way my way my version of verse six says. And then it goes on in seven to say, bringing the homeless poor into our house. We are such a restrained people that the idea of bringing a poor person from outside to inside, I don't know about y'all, but I haven't done that. Um, and that's a, that's, I'm a lament. That's a lament for me. And so is my fast doing enough for me? Um, 
And then the other part that I that I just I, I don't I just add to your conversation something that, that struck me was it made me look there's whenever I see all these if then statements and this idea of if you do this if you do this if you do this and then it says your light will shine, your light will break out like the dawn, water will begin to flow, your gardens will grow, and so this and now this 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 way that things come to life as we wrestle with some of these things. But again, dang it, I don't bring the homeless poor into my house. There's good that comes from it, and there's a struggle. And maybe I should, yeah, I should be called to action more. Mm. Thanks, but no thanks, Allison, for bringing some of that. <laughs> it's convicting. <laughs> it's a struggle if I'm if I'm being truly honest and, and vulnerable. This text is going to come back, uh, I think, around Ash Wednesday, Allison. So I'll just make sure that we include you in that episode mm-hmm. as well, so that you can bring the truth. Uh, to us uh, really really good friends we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back hi friends if we haven't met my name is Allison and I'm here to talk to you about one of the resources that we have to offer at the wellness project the wellness project has two new cohorts starting this spring and you should definitely join us a cohort is a mental health module that has been designed by campus ministers and students on our design team. The first cohort is titled Mental Health Overview and is exactly what it sounds like. There are eight sessions total and each session covers a different topic on mental health and wellness to give you a general overview of what those topics are. The second cohort is called Peer Support and that's four sessions all to do with peer support. We would love to have you join us and if you'd like to sign up, go to studiowesley.org slash wellnessproject. And we're back to Studio Wesley Annex, and uh, <laughs> I love the way. That whenever I come back, uh, it's always it always catches like everybody by surprise, and I'll continue to do that because it's really really fun. So we're going to continue on, and I get the Psalm text for this week. So uh, it's going to be Psalm one twelve, and uh, I got I'm gonna start out, and I'll just say. Um, often I get to officiate weddings or participate, say something special over couples that um, I've walked with or have met or, you know, the uh, different different contexts. And Psalm 112 is actually one of the psalms that I often use uh, when I am uh, performing a wedding. It, it just depends on the, the space and the time. But I have used this text many, many times because one of the things I really, really love about it is sort of its ability to speak blessing on the couple. So I'll just read a little bit of this, um, starting at verse 1 of Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Those who honor the Lord, who adore God's commandments, are truly happy. Their descendants will be strong throughout the land. The offspring of those who do right will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in their houses. Their righteousness stands forever. This is the moment where the parents usually like, I'm really glad that Derek is reading this psalm over our kids. Um, just a little bit more. They, they shine in the dark for others who do right. They are merciful and compassionate and righteous. Those who lend generously are good people. And it goes on to Verse six, people love verse six. Yes, those sorts of people will never be shaken. And again, it, I read this over the couple as a blessing, as encouragement, as a prayer, um, as a hope. 
And so my first thought about Psalm 112 is just the ways that we speak to each other, the ways that we even, as I could say, speak blessing on each other. And, and I'm, I'm a bit challenged about that. Um, because I don't want to, I don't want it to come off as like something that is uh, something that's trite or something that's superficial. Um, but I do wonder, like, do we speak blessing over each other? Do we do we speak sort of our hope for each other, um, and not just like people like like I have a lot of hope for the people in my circle, but I tend to hold on to it like I, it stays inside. Like, and so those hopes I never actually out say out loud. But again, like verse seven. They won't be frightened at bad news. Their hearts are steady, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are firm. They aren't afraid. I just feel like, and I, this is what happens when I say this at weddings, that actually does something to the people that are hearing it. Like, this is what you're hoping for us. Oh my gosh. Like, and it's an encouragement. It's, it is a, um, it, it enlivens them. It, it gives them strength to take the next step. So that's my first thought is that, you know, this psalm, at least for me, and I do think that in many ways, even how it is used um, in general is to speak blessing on people. And also because we are in Epiphany, I've got to think about this season that we're in. And now we're at that part of Epiphany, um, again, week five, we're getting close to this next season. Um, Again, this is why some people don't even call this part of the of the of the Christian year epiphany. They call it ordinary time because we are actually preparing for Lent. And now, what many of these scriptures are starting to bring up for us um, again, it's that light. It's shining a light on the ways that we still need to grow, the ways that we still need to mature, the ways that we still need to move on towards perfection, as we United Methodists often say. So. I wonder if Psalm 112, in addition to being a blessing, is also a gut check. Am I this kind of person? I mean, verse five, again, those who lend generously are good people, as are those who conduct their affairs with justice. This is going back to what Joel said in the first half. Like, there are these things that when I read scripture, they remind me, I haven't actually done that. And there's a sense that like, we could say, oh, I haven't done that. And I'll put that on the list and I'll deal with that later. And then there's a sense like, at what point do I actually spend some time allowing the text to read me and to look back at me, allow the text to shine a light on me? And so I wonder if Psalm 112 is in a, in a way that is still approachable for many of us, inviting us to consider, is this me? I want this to be said about me, but is it me? Um, it goes on in verse nine. I won't read too much more, but they give freely to those in need. Their righteousness stands forever. Their strength increases gloriously. And oh gosh, like, can that be said of me? And if I did believe that it should be said of me, what steps am I going to take? Goes back to Irwin. Like it's both these works of piety and these works of justice. Um, and so I invite us to listen to Psalm 112 um, and I, I almost think all the texts this week, but the listen to Psalm 112 and allow Psalm 112, yes, to be a blessing over us, but also to be, again, that gut check. Is this who I am? No judgment, no shame. We're all on the journey. We're all figuring this thing out. Light is shining on stuff that we all are like, let me cover that stuff up because I ain't ready for that. That's everybody, okay? But 
we're coming to a season where we get to spend some time really paying attention to that. And I think Psalm 112 may be trying to prepare us for that. So with that, I'm going to bring my friends back to the stage and they're going to say how, hey, Derek, that was fun, but no. Um, or like, oh, no, sounds good. So um, yeah, what do you got to say, Erwin, Allison, Joel, what do y'all think? Yeah, you know, one of the things you talked about, this idea of do we speak blessing on each other, reminded me of a thought that I've been um, reflecting on recently, and that is the idea that as people, we're really good at critiquing one another and critiquing ourselves, and we don't really do a great job of complimenting each other or even complimenting ourselves. I remember when I was in Haiti on this mission trip, they would have these things called bravos, but they would go around the room and just compliment each other. And the reason why they would do that was because there was another group that they would go around the room and critique each other. And while it was a form of humility, this critique, this um, brother in charity, he was like a monk, he said, we have to flip this around and spend some time encouraging each other. And so uh, I think the only way to do that is to do that, <laughs> to build the habit to do an activity like the Bravo. So that's one thing that came to mind. And then the other thing that came to mind was that verse that says, they will be remembered forever. And I'm like, I want to be remembered forever. And then I thought, that's kind of vain. And I feel like the righteous don't think about that, right? And that's why they're remembered forever. <laughs> you know, so just some thoughts. You know, Derek, you like, you said, I gotta look at, I have notes. You said, you said, do we speak our hope for each other? Like in the very beginning of everything you were saying. And it like took my ability to be an active listener. And like, it was hanging by a thread. I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to focus on anything else he's saying right now, because I have to think about this and like all aspects of my life and all of the people that I'm having interactions with. Um, so I, I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> you know, one of the things I saw is quite often we put ourselves in the, in the um, the space of the hero, and as we read texts, and and there are ways that we need to be poured over, um, and there are ways that we need to be held in account. And I think Erwin, you did a good job of saying, yeah, both of those happen, but some of this maybe is second. Hey, let's let's pour over each other. I looked at there was in, in verse four. It talked about this idea. You you even mentioned this one, Derek. Is a highlight. I put highlight those doing good work. It says shine light those who are doing good work, and at the bottom. The wicked see all this and fume. And then at very end it says, what the wicked want to see happen comes to nothing. And sometimes I hope some of the things I want to see happen comes, comes to nothing because sometimes my mind is in a wrong space. And so there might be some, some space where I need people to pour blessings over me so it helps get that wicked, those, those other thoughts out or some, some ways that helps check myself. Um, and so I think it goes both. I think it helps us sometimes when we read all of these to gut check ourselves. Am I just a hero? Or sometimes do I need to look at the other verses as a, as, as, as centering back to me? And then that last one, I just want to mention this one. You, you talk about this, this idea that, that witness their enemies defeat. I always struggle with scripture that talks about the defeat of our enemies. And I, I always ask this question, well, who, who are these enemies? Um, and what, there's, a, there's an Avid Brothers song that says, I have no enemies. And he, he repeats it over and over again. I even got a concert shirt that says, I have no enemies. And I, I think, it, does God have enemies? Does God want us to have enemies? Or does God want us to build bridges to people and help break down walls and barriers? And I think in that tension, in that conversation, maybe that can help 
some of our conversations, if we didn't think of each other as enemies as much as we we thought of each other thought of each other as siblings. Um, we got good siblings and bad siblings, ones that we love and connect with, and ones that need a little bit of little light shining on. Um, so that's those were the thoughts that you brought up when you when you read through that for me. Y'all, incredible! Thanks for those comments, man. That's just uh, um. I'm like you, Allison. Like I'm really trying to hang on to everything else, but like both Erwin and Joel, like, like, wait, okay, let me think about that. They're still going, okay. But so, thank you, all everybody. Oh my gosh! And now we're about to land this plane, and uh, Erwin's about to unpack the gospel text for us, Matthew five. So, Erwin, go ahead and take it away, my friend. Sure, I'm, I'm excited to share on Matthew five thirteen through twenty, and. I tried to pick up on a theme and this idea of theme to me is very important because um, I read this quote that I just think is phenomenal. And it says this, a Christian doctrine of God is not simply a repetition of everything the Bible says. It is the construction of a concept which is derived from scripture as it is guided by scripture's basic themes and generalizations. And that quote I actually got from, Haley, the campus minister uh, at Campus of City, Wesley. And when I was trying to figure out the themes that I saw in this particular text, I saw the theme of the both end theological concept that I feel is crucial for us to understand if we're going to be more inclusive in our theology. And this both end theological concept is about seeing gray in a world that wants us to see things only in black and white. And so this concept is the idea that two seemingly conflicting ideas can be true or valid at the same time. For example, somebody can be strong and vulnerable. Jesus is fully human and divine. And so in this text, we see this both and concept in the themes of salt, righteous, righteousness, light, and even Jesus's portrayal of, of rebuking, right? For example, salt, it's known for its ability to bring flavor, but it can also dehydrate. Righteousness is not just works of piety, it's also works of mercy. And the scripture also has this verse that says, you are the light of the world. And then it talks about a city. So it's not just personal, but it's communal. And so this is crucial for our understanding. And another example we see here is the kingdom of God. On one In one breath, it says everybody's included in the kingdom of God. And the other breath, it says, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so it's like this one phrase that I hear often is that there's your side, there's their side, and then there's the truth, right? And so this, this middle ground, this center place is what I believe Jesus talks about when he refers to the narrow way, right? That's the difference. There's a difference between being narrow-minded and finding that narrow way in between these two big extremes, right? And we see this in the scripture with salt, righteousness, the city, personal. And I want to invite us to, to realize that not only should we see the world in this way and we should see people in this way and we should open up our mind that the world is bigger than what we, we give it credit for, but I also want to encourage you that we already see the world in this way. Um, I do these little engineering projects with, with my son and <clears throat> the engineer was talking about this phenomenon called persistence of vision. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I find this fascinating. But persistence of vision 
is the idea that we see two things at the same time and we always see two things at the same time. So it says this, seeing two things at the same time refers to the ability of the brain to perceive multiple images presented in rapid successions in a single continuous image. So this is why when we see a flip book that we can see those continuous images because our brain is still seeing the first image, even though the image is no longer there, our, our brain is catching up to that image. And then when the second image appears, we can see both of them at the same time. And I think that's fascinating, fascinating. And also another analogy for us to consider that we live in a both and world. So if we want to be inclusive, we're going to have to begin to see that God is bigger than the limitations that we set from. So that's what I saw in the scripture today. Wow. I'm brought into this idea that constructs. Phil, you were muted. You were muted for those first couple of seconds. So I, I was, oh, and I good. was, and I didn't realize that you were muted or would have <laughs> unmuted you, but I was still living in the glory of yeah. what Erwin just said. So I apologize. My bad. I, ah, so much glory. No worries. Joel, thoughts. Oh, thank you so much, Erwin. Uh, I think you. You illustrated very well, especially with that quote, this idea of the constructs that the Bible gives us and how we formulate our, not just our theology, but our relationship with some of these texts and how they build about, they build on our understanding as it relates to other people's understanding. The other part that I love, this idea that you brought up that we hold multiple truths at once. And sometimes those truths, if, if looked at in a certain way, can be contradictory if you put them together. And so how do you hold that space and tension, which is, I, I love how you put it as the narrow way. And the law, like the second half of that, the whole text is the law being good, but also the law is a struggle and the law can be rewritten, but shouldn't be, but will be fulfilled, but won't be. And how that works out is, uh, to me, that that's the fascinating work of theology that you bring to the table. Um, and your different versions of salt. And you didn't even mention the idea that salt is actually a preservative. I'll finish with this. This one thing that, that this this struck this idea. I, I there's this cap. There's this uh, clip clip from the movie The Shack that talks through the idea when they're digging in the garden and they're doing some work. Um, he, he says, "Hey," be, she says, "Be careful." The spirit says, "Be careful." There's poison in that, and he automatically assumes poison is bad. She's like, "Yeah, that poison will kill you," but when you combine this poisonous thing with this thing, it becomes a solve and a healing. Thing. And so our even our it's poisonous bad or poison can be good if it's used the right way is, a, I think, another illustration to bring about the points you made of holding those different things and those different mm. truths as part of our theological conversation. Thanks. Thanks so much, Erwin. I think like I was already thinking at one point that I was going to need like nine business days to process everything you just said <laughs> um, before it like fully sets in. And then at the end, you said that thing about a like god can do more than limitations we have set for him and that just like yeah i'm gonna need a while to process all of that one i think that was so good <laughs> so so good and i i continue to just reflect you know particularly in these scriptures one you know just coming out of that psalm but also even thinking about the ways that paul is rolling in in first corinthians 2 just the the the, the 
how we're viewing this audience, how Paul views his audience, how the psalmist views their audience, the audience of the prophet. Um, Jesus is, uh, Jesus looks at his audience in Matthew 5 and says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So I, 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 I wonder what's, what might be in that image of like the person who's speaking and the audience that's receiving. I just wonder, that's just a thought that sort of I got across those four texts. But Erwin, I really, really appreciated your both and. And I often hear both and as a, maybe not always, but sometimes I feel like people use the both and thing to let's not work so hard. Let's just include everybody and let's just get it all here and 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 let's just figure out how to be happy. But what I heard you were saying was these, these both ands are all work. Like the, the both ands of how God works in the world actually is work, like real intense energy effort and not just, well, if we if we do both and then we can just all be happy together. And and I just felt like you were, I mean, I did I felt challenged a little bit to like pay attention to the both and ways of righteousness around me. Um and, and the calling of God. Um, so many thoughts, so many things there. Um, my Lord, I uh I'm gonna go back and watch this. <laughs> this has been an incredible episode of Annex. Um, so so grateful for everybody's contributions. Erwin, would you uh, close us in prayer? Sure. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. We're so grateful for an opportunity to reflect on the scriptures, and we pray for those who are listening to this that they will be blessed, and then we speak blessing upon them. Uh, we speak. We pray that they would preaching a message that would inspire others to share their message. And we pray that it would be a message that would bring people closer to you and closer to their neighbor and even closer to self-love, Lord. And we also pray, Lord, that you would help us understand and see the world in this both end perspective, that it's not just about works of piety, but it's also about works of mercy. Help us, Lord, not miss the, the whole picture. Um, help us experience a holistic Christianity so that we can um, save our souls, save our minds, save our bodies, and do the best that we can with this um, short life that we're given. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, my gosh. So good. Joel, thank you for joining us and bringing just such incredible perspective. Erwin, just a blessing, bro. Like, ah, so good. Allison, you are ever consistent and honest and and just uh very very grateful for all that you bring um friends thanks for watching and we'll see you next week for another episode of studio what's the annex see you friends